When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you having a horrible week, or an awful week, or as the great basketball player Shaquille O'Neal once said, a horror-awful week? Well, hang in there, because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy and friend, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Zach. Uh, You know, I've learned a few lessons from this week's episode. Never underestimate the power of smell. Uh, A hermit crab is a good place or a good analogy for someone who's found a new home. I I really feel like uh, I'm I'm killing it this week. How are you, Zach? Good. I like that hermit crab analogy in this episode. It was fine, but I think that's another trope in TV where it's like, how many times are we going to hear this metaphor over like the course of so many shows? I feel like I've seen like, oh, a hermit crab, it gets a new home. I've seen that metaphor like 10 times in 10 different shows, I feel like. See, at least I've heard it before too, but this is one I could follow. Last week we're talking about fish going and knowing (laughs) rivers and oceans, and this one's a hermit crab. I was on top Uh, of that. As soon as I heard it, I was like, boom, don't need the breakdown. I'm ready to go. No, I, I, I uh, liked so it in this it episode as well. So, and so we'll get into the, what, what did you think of this episode overall? Cause this, uh, Northern Air Temple, I remembered, of course, like Teo and his glider and stuff, but I actually didn't remember too many of the finer details. In fact, this whole last fight, I felt like I was almost watching it for the first time. I forgot about these like grappling hook trucks that the Fire Nation seemed to have. Yeah, uh, this is an episode that I remember really liking. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is one that I would, you know, if it was on on a Saturday morning, I would make sure that I sat down and watched that one for sure. Um, This is always an episode that I like really remember thinking was like one of the bright spots in season one. And while I think it's a pretty good episode, it's not as good as I thought that it was uh, initially. So like I liked it. Uh, I think that there are some good moments that we'll get into. But yeah, I didn't think that this episode was as strong as my recollection. Yeah, it was good. And it sets the stage for a lot of stuff because apparently this scientist, I had to do a little looking up because he's not named in the episode, but apparently his mm-hmm. term in the canon is the mechanist. And a lot of his inventions will go on to be used by the Fire Nation going forward. Of course, they find the balloon yep. at the end of the episode. And then he also has the designs for the drill, which will end up being a big part of season two. So this, while this is a very important episode, I kind of felt similarly to you. It's like when I first watched this I'm, I'm on my initial watch, I really enjoyed it. But now it's like it's good, but it's not one of the high highs of uh, season one. Like, say, something like Imprisoned was or like the Blue Spirit, for example. So, yeah, no, I think I, yeah. I think I agree with you in that regard. But it's good. It was still good. Way better than like Bato yeah, the was Water Tribe or like the Fortune Teller. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so I'm not saying it was a oh, bad that episode. episode. 
Yeah, that episode's going to be getting trashed on for uh, the rest of this series. The the entire podcast will just be like, at least it's not a Beto or Bato. Yeah, it was just such tribe. a horrible episode. Like, and even like, because Aang, sometimes you don't agree with him narratively. Like in the last episode we just did with Zhang Zhang. Like, well, I don't necessarily agree with that Aang was doing. It was within his character. Whereas I felt like some of his decisions in that episode made no sense. The writing was just all over the place. Didn't give a two hoots about Bato. But yeah, we've I've, I've been, in particular been complaining about it for like three episodes. <laughs> now so maybe i'll stop beating that dead horse no i think that uh we stay out there and uh what was that animal called the sheer shoe yes, we can keep shoe. beating the dead sheer shoe <laughs> it'll take uh, a lot but of hey, power to kill a sheer shoe i think but that is true uh, or just one giant air bu- uh bison true 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 but we actually have an episode that's a little bit better than that one to talk about today and uh this episode starts off with something that i uh love a good campfire story uh, the, there's an old man, he's telling a story about these people who walk in the skies. Uh, they, you know, float around and they're just sitting by the campfire. I really like this as a setup for the episode. I thought this was a nice way to introduce the narrative. And I, yeah, I thought that this was like a fun time that the kids are getting to hear an adventure rather than go on one themselves. Yeah, that's true. And I like the little joke they had where he's like, oh, your grandfather must have been, great grandfather must have been alive a long time ago. He's like, no, he saw them last week. And then just like pans to his yeah. like this senile old man giving a big toothy yeah. smile. Yeah, well, they were told that these people laugh at gravity and to which Aang responds, I laugh at gravity all the time and starts laughing. <laughs> uh, I've never thought any of these things, uh, like, you know, any uh, scientific theories were this funny, but Aang really got a crack out of that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sadly, I wish I could laugh at gravity the way Aang does. Maybe some, like, super athletic sp- athletes can, like, laugh at gravity when they jump super high in the air. But I have, like, a negative two-inch yeah. vertical, so I don't think I'll ever <laughs> be laughing at gravity anytime soon. Uh yeah, most likely not. Um, yeah, so after this story, the guy comes by collecting some money. And guess what, Zach? This is the thing I'm most excited for in the episode. <laughs> we have a new thing to point out that Sokka carries around. So far, we had Katara has a fish in her pocket. Sokka has a pocket bug. Uh, it's definitely <laughs> less useful than a fish, but uh, Sokka did not want to feel left out. And here you go. Uh, I will also track if there's any time that a pocket bug can come of use. I wonder what Sokka was doing with this bug. It just probably just happened to be in his pocket. Like he was just rummaging through. There was no money. So he just grabbed the first thing that was there, which happened to be this like <laughs> little gross white and black looking bug. And then did you notice yeah. in this part, Momo as well? He like, so the guy who's collecting money drops a copper piece and then Momo picks it up and puts it back in his bag. I thought that was pretty slick on Momo's part. Yeah, that was clever. Uh, I was surprised that the old man didn't hear the coin hit the ground because it was like pretty obvious to me. But hey, Momo, uh, sharp skills there to pick the coin up and put it back. And yeah, uh, Aang's able to get the information that the airbenders or the people that laugh at gravity are still around today. And that's when we get the joke about the old grandfather. Yeah, then this guy, when Momo gives him the piece, is like, thanks, little bat thing, which I thought was a funny description of Momo. <laughs> little bat Pretty thing. accurate. True, true, true. Uh, so then, yeah, next seed, they, so they're just flying to the Northern Air Temple, and then they see a bunch on Appa, of course, and then they see a bunch of children gliding around it. And Aang says immediately that they are not airbenders because he can sense their lack of spirit. 
how does that it's kind of crazy though and can sense that from so far away though i mean of course here you'll we'll learn that they're not airbenders but i feel like if i'm like soccer katara there i just see a bunch of people flying around on gliders around a temple i'm just assuming they're airbenders right away yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Uh, Aang sees these people on gliders, and he's disappointed from so far away when, to me, they just look like specks of dust. Um, but yeah, Aang is able to tell that they're gliding, not flying. And I kind of thought here, like, okay, Aang, like, uh, you're kind of being a gatekeeper here. Like, <laughs> they're effectively airbending. Like, I don't know what you want out of them, but they seem to be doing a fine job, in my opinion. No, you're right. And I think that's, like, Aang's, like, kind of conflict with the episode because he sees them, like, desecrating the Northern Air Temple. But then by the end of it, yeah. he comes to, like, appreciate Teo and show him what's up. So, I think there's... But this, this, is, okay, this, this is before Aang knows that they're desecrating the temple. Like, all true, he can true, see... True, Right. people all around well what i was thinking because i thought about this too because initially i was like how does ang even know they aren't airbenders but i think like the most powerful benders like ang and jong jong last episode they can just like sense things like jong jong without even seeing ang was able to sense that he had not mastered mm. earth bending and water bending so and ang is at that level like ang is one of the most powerful benders in the whole series of course because he's the avatar like the avatar is almost always one of the most powerful people so i think it's like one of those things where even from so far away he can still just sense it at least that's my theory, because otherwise it really doesn't make sense. Like like you said, they just look like specks of dust in the distance. Like You actually just made a great point, uh, linking this back to last week's episode. Mm-hmm. Last week we saw that Zhang Zhang could tell Aang didn't know some elements. Uh, now Aang can tell they're not airbenders. I had not made that connection, but that is... Um, yeah, that makes I mean, more I'm not sense. I, I at least feel true, better about but it. But that's just my like headcanon theory, so... Yeah. Um, so the, yeah, no, I think that's right. I actually had a question before mm-hmm. I move on too far. Sokka was like carving some piece of wood. What do you think he was making on the back of Appa? Ah, I don't think I looked at this close enough. Like, what did what did it look like to you? Because I don't, I actually don't have this in my notes. <laughs> to me, it looked like a ball, uh, and I was really confused why he was like carving a ball. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he just wanted something to chuck at people. Maybe it was creating like okay. a little bomb mechanics or like just like how the mechanist has the old air balloon model. Maybe he's creating like a bomb oh. model of something. I don't know. Wait, maybe he knew that he was going to uh, the air temple again and he wanted to play the game from the southern air <laughs> temple. So he decided to make a ball. He wanted to play air ball. He was after yeah. getting spanked by yeah. Aang. He was ready to redeem himself. Well, he heard that there are other people here. He's like, oh, maybe I've got a chance against these bums. Well, the thing um, with Sokka is that, like me, he's not laughing at gravity. So, I don't know. Even if he's nope. got his own ball, he's going to be struggling in a game of air ball against Aang and these yeah, glider kids. Yeah, that's fair. So, then Aang gets into this, like, air show contest of, like, showmanship with Teo, this handicapped child who is somehow still very adept with a glider. What do you think of their little show? I liked how this little, there's, like, a kid in the audience who's like, show that bald kid how it's done. So, Teo has his, like, (laughs) fan support group. Yeah, I thought it was impressive that that kid on the ground could see that Aang is bald uh, from the air while he's moving around. I thought this was fun. Uh, You know, they're, like joking around ang seems really determined to show that he's better and teo's just happy that he's uh like doing these tricks so ang's like really 
determined. Actually, at one point, he sticks his tongue out, similar to Michael Jordan about to do a dunk. <laughs> uh, and Teo's just having a great time. But I thought this was fun. No, I thought this uh, was a really fun scene, too. And it was one I didn't like. I remembered some bits. Like, I remembered Aang, like, doing his little air scooter and running alongside the building. But I forgot at the end, Teo draws, like, Aang's unenthused face with, yeah, like, the, yeah. um, the smoke trails from his glider. And then I thought, like, and then you see, it cuts back to Aang making that exact face. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I thought that was clever. We see like a little blue angel thing where uh, trailing behind Teo's all of this gas and it makes Aang's face. And yeah, I thought that was I have a too. question for you. It's kind of stupid, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. So remember those like the people, the old man and stuff we saw at the beginning of the episode, they live near the air temple, right? I wonder if they're big chemtrail conspiracists, because just like how we have like those people believe in chemtrails here, because we see like this guy's got the smoke. They've seen the gliders and stuff, but they also see the, these gliders and their smoke. So I wonder what their theory of like when they see these gliders releasing smoke in the air might be. Hmm. I, I'm not really sure. Like, I have to assume that in a world with airbending, that people just assume that they're airbending. Since the, the, since there hasn't been an airbender in a hundred years, like, people probably don't know what it's supposed to look like, and they don't know that, like, there's exhaust behind. That's true. That's true. Okay, yeah. well, we'll move on. That, that's my guess. Let's <laughs> let's hope there are no conspiracy theories. No, because I was just uh, thinking, like, because I remember Prince, when Prince was alive, he was, like, big on the chemtrails. And to me, it was always the stupidest conspiracy theory out of all of them. Just, like, <laughs> carry your, like, cargo planes are releasing, like, gases to dumb down the people. Like, I always thought it was stupid, but I just yeah. wondered, like, that old man from earlier who sees them, like, laughing at the air, I wonder what his thoughts were when he just sees these trails of smoke. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give, give people the generous, uh, interpretation that they're not having these weird conspiracies. Give theories. them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, good. So, yeah. Aang is so, unhappy so after, with, oh yeah, he's unhappy with the current industrial state of the air temple. And like, that isn't helped by like Teo's father coming in and like knocking off the head of a statue immediately after this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to maybe jump back just a second, oh, okay. I was going to say that finally we have a person who knows who the avatar is. As soon as Aang That's lands, Teo is like, oh, hey, you're the avatar. But like, I know that you've been wanting people to know that he's the avatar. This seems like the weirdest person to because I don't know where he would have heard the stories that the avatar's back. He, they live so far away from but anyone But he doesn't else. need to hear the stories because he saw him airbent. Oh, right. Oh, so this kid's smarter yeah, than no, I thought. But exactly. But the, it's like, I mean, the other people we've seen in earlier episodes, I've also saw Aang Airbend and still did not like put two or two together <laughs> that Aang was yeah. the Avatar. So Teo is smarter than like almost all the civilians we've been seeing in episodes prior. But yeah, because he, correct me if I'm wrong, he like Airbends a scooter and like jumps back on the glider. Yep. So I think Teo yeah. sees him Airbend and then when he lands, he's like, oh, you're the Avatar. Because Teo knows like wow. other Airbenders don't exist and they live in the Northern Air Temple. So he's probably seen like statues of like people with arrow tattoos on their head so yeah that's fair yeah it, it seems like this kid's pretty smart you know we've had like so many adults come through and have no idea that Aang's the avatar but this kid solves it in a few seconds yeah, Teo, i thought you'd have been really proud tail's a good side character i liked him i liked him yeah. and his dad like they're not they're not forgettable we'll see them again and yeah compared to like some of the other side characters we see in season one some of them are hit and miss like the very forgettable yeah. legend of zelda npcs in the <laughs> hey bye village for example yeah exactly yeah, so then Aang's walking through this temple, and he's really sad that it's been altered. There's, like, tons of vents and steam-type uh, things mm -hmm. that are, like, um, yeah, making this whole 
temple work. Uh, since there aren't like airbenders, they have to create the steam. And yet he's just really repulsed by all the ways that the uh, temples change. Finally, when he gets to a small pavilion that hasn't been changed, they immediately knock down a wall, uh, which you referred to earlier, Zach. Mm-hmm. And Aang kind of reaches his breaking point here. He gets pretty upset. Uh, yeah, like, and to me, I understand, like, okay, they've, they, they're refugees. They have to make the Northern Air Temple their home. But to just destroy this statue just to build a bathhouse and be like, oh, we stink. Like, I don't know. I think they could have, <laughs> they could have built the, this bathhouse while also, like, not destroying statues. Like, so I kind of, I can, I can see it from Ang's point of view, like, how he'd be offended. Like, they're just, like, knocking off Macchiato's stone head here just to build a stupid yeah. bathhouse. But but at the same time, like, Aang throws the crane that they used to knock down the wall off the entire cliff. Like, that is not getting recovered. So, like, I get that you're mad, but I it seemed like an overreaction to me. Yeah, and then I want to I wanna ha- ha- highlight the dialogue here. So that Aang is like, this is unbelievable. And then, and then uh, Katara's like, I think Aang is shocked that this is so different. And Sokka says, so better, which is like the most like grammatically incorrect, like <laughs> two word sentence I've ever heard in my life. Like, I, cause I had to like stop down here. I was like, so better. Like, what kind of weird way of phrasing that did Sokka just use? Yeah, no, that's fair. I didn't do the like, uh, you know, replacement of, uh, it's so better. Yeah. Um, no, that's fair. I, what I was, uh, you know, shocked by is that the mechanist, looks at Aang and he's like, how do you know airbenders? You're just 12. Like he get his, he got his age. Exactly. That's very impressive. True. Yeah, you're right, actually. But it's also like, how does this, how does the mechanist not know that Aang is an airbender? Like, or that he does have, you know what I mean? Like if you, you, cause they've heard of the avatar, I'm sure like on yeah. their travels, like they should know by now that the avatar was trapped in the iceberg and is like, was alive a hundred years ago. I feel like these stories must've been traveled. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the inventor does tell, or sorry, the mechanist does tell a pretty good story about why they're there. Uh, like he gives the background. He says that they're a refugee and he decided to come to the temple. Um, and after a flood destroys the village, then the mechanist finds this place, finds it completely abandoned, makes his own gliders so that his son, who was paralyzed by the flood, is able to fly. And I think the sweet thing here is that he says that uh, people can be on equal ground whenever they're all in the air. Yeah, I, I um, like because that. Because obviously I, I, his son can't walk, mm-hmm. but if they can all fly, then they're all equal. I thought that was really sweet. See, and this is something that I, I'm, I'm going to complain about Bato the Water Tribe a little bit here, but I, it, this makes sense. I felt like with that episode, if they gave Bato a moment like this at the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. to humanize him a little bit, then that episode would be a lot better, or at least at the very least, a lot less forgettable. Because at least the mechanist, you get you like for me, for the rest of the episode, I could sympathize with him. Even him building weapons for the Fire Nation at the end of the episode, I'm like, okay, I can understand. He's doing this to support his family, and it's the only like way he can. So I, I like this little thing, and especially the quote where he's like, he wants to build a new life for his son in the sky to put everyone on equal ground. And I thought that was great stuff. But then I have a question for you. What was your initial impression of this guy when you first see him? Because he's kind of like an eccentric, sci- eccentric scientist type <laughs> we see in a lot of shows, like almost Albert Einstein-esque. Like, what were your thoughts of his initial appearance yeah i mean he looks crazy yeah, yeah, so yeah. uh instead of like having eyebrows they're like essentially pieces of hair um <laughs> instead of like having two real eyebrows it's like he's got eight mini ones with each little part having a small slit in between uh he has the like kevin malone type hair where like he doesn't have any on the top <laughs> of his head but has it on the side but instead of the side being cut short it's going up like it's like wings on his head so he looks like 
pretty crazy. He also has glasses, uh, or I guess like a monocle on one of his eyes is, that's red. Is it a monocle or like a burn mark or like a mark from like a telescope? Because I don't, th- I, I oh. look at it close and I don't think it's a monocle. I could be wrong, but it didn't no, look ma- like that, a monocle. A burn mark too. makes more sense because uh, a monocle, um, I was lost why he had a monocle. Or, or not even a monocle, so. but it could be like a mark from like a telescope when you're like peering into something. Because all it looked like was like a red circle like drawn around his eye. It didn't look like a grotesque burn like on Zuko's face. Yeah. So. No, that, that yeah. that's fair. Yeah, it's only uh, but this guy seems missing. We <laughs> we'll uh, yeah. talk about that in a little bit, but because it- yeah, uh, yeah, he he seems a bit crazy uh, right now, and I think him and Aang have a pretty good discussion right here, where he says that, uh, or the mechanist says that nature uh, improves, and he's like improving things just like nature would. Aang says that nature knows when to stop, and the mechanist says progress can get away from us. What do you think about this, Zach? Where do you land? Um, yeah, this do you is, think that these changes are good changes or are they pretty, outside of nature? This is a deep, like, introspective discussion for both of these, which is surprising. I feel like we we don't really – I mean, we got some of this with Zhang Zhang in season one. We don't really get too many conversations like this because it's true, like – it's just as people humanity is always innovating and moving forward and adapting but then at the same time progress can get away from you like because i think i'm I'm comparing the mechanist to like albert einstein albert einstein and his like scientific theories were eventually used to like create nuclear bombs which i I don't think he was very fond of but like the mechanist says here sometimes progress has a way of getting away from you and like even progress can be weaponized for evil so i really enjoyed this little chat here because i felt like both ang and the mechanist had valid points points i don't think i fell firmly into one camp or the other what about you yeah no i think that's fair and i think if you take the events later in the episode with his statement now where like he came here just to improve the temple like he just wants a better life for everyone but like just in the way that progress can get away from uh like other people progress has gotten away from himself like he's now making weapons for the fire nation against his will Uh, Like, he wishes that he was, you know, contributing good. He just wants, like, his son to have a better life. But instead, uh, progress has also gotten away from him. So I think this is, like, an interesting uh, discussion here. And I think this, like, really is sort of the thesis of the episode is, like, yeah, progress can get away from us, uh, I think, is a good way to sum up the character of the mechanist. Yeah, I agree completely. And that was a very good. Yeah, I, I'm glad we stopped down and talked about this conversation because I had a lot of it in my notes. And then he, we go, we get a little less serious. He shows off his candle clock <laughs> to Sokka. What did you think of this candle clock? I thought it sucked because you could only check it a finite amount of times. Like, I think even I don't even know how a sundial works necessarily, but I think a sundial almost might be a better clock. What did you think of this? Yeah, no, I had almost a similar note that any other form of time, obviously <laughs> clocks are better, but like sundials way better. Uh, yeah, this is terrible. It's single use. So you're going to have to get wax on a mountain enough to make a candle. That seems impossible. So yeah, I thought that this candle was funny uh, for the joke like, oh, I, it's four o' candle instead of four <laughs> o'clock. But that's the only value that this candle has. Yeah, and then the mechanist has this finger-safe knife sharpener that it only took him three tries to get right, and then he throws his three wooden fingers at Sokka, and Sokka, like, fumbles and catches them. So is this actually, like, confirmed that he actually, like, lost all his fingers due to his finger-safe knife sharpener? I was confused. I was like, was that a joke he was making, or did he actually lose his fingers like this? Oh, no, I definitely thought that's how he lost his fingers. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like yeah. for sure. Like I actually, it did not cross my mind that that might have been like a joke and he lost him somewhere else. Like I think this crazy guy was just trying to make some knife sharpener and kept losing fingers. 
And eventually uh, he figured it out. I thought it was impressive that he lost the bottom fingers first. I feel like if I was making a knife sharpener, my thumb and my index finger are the first to go. That's true. He actually, he lost like his, probably his three most useless fingers and kept his two most important ones. So good for him. Exactly. Yeah. So in the next scene, Teo shows Aang and Katara around in the air temple chamber. He sh- Oh, he shows them around the air temple, and then he shows them the air temple chamber that hasn't been opened yet. We've seen the exact one in the southern air temple as well. It's like the big door. It almost has like what looks like a trumpet like part of it that you bend air into mm-hmm. to open it. Aang decides against opening it because it's the one part of the temple that hasn't been sullied by outside influence, which is fair. And I think even Teo, you can kind of see in his face, like he understands. He's like, you know what? Aang's already kind of depressed pressed about the current state of the northern air temple so makes sense what- yeah that that makes sense but like this door can close so like if he opens it it's not like it's like oh no you can never close this door again so you could like open it and then close it again so that Teo could see and then Aang could close it behind so that no one else could come back in and it get messed up again that's true and I have a question for you I know I'm skipping ahead really away I'm skipping very far ahead but the mechanist somehow was able to actually open this and I wonder what he they don't say how he was able to do it because it's going to be revealed Aang's going to open it later in the episode and there's going to be a bunch of fire nation like almost like a blacksmith's like workshop there with like weaponry mm-hmm. and all that stuff so how do you think he even opened it because like I thought Sokka and Katara their plan when they're opening the fire nation door made perfect sense and then it didn't work when they put like the fire bombs at each like dragon mouth so I wonder like what even if you have like just a theory what what do you think he was it did to open this door yeah, I mean, I really do think that it's very similar to the uh, dragon door mm-hmm. with the five fire locks where you just have to get a coordinated blast of air to go through that's strong enough to get through all three. I feel like, you know, most people could not do it, but the mechanist may, like had to have made some sort of machinery uh, in order to do it. Yeah, yeah, he, um, he probably yeah. did, honestly, because especially he's keeping the secret. So, like, he could have used some of the gliders or somebody to help him, but because this is a secret and nobody else in his tribe really knows what he's doing with the Fire Nation. So, yeah, he probably created some machine or something. So, the eccentric yep. scientist, speaking of which, the mechanist, he shows Sokka a room full of natural gas and explains, like, they have gas leaks from time to time and he doesn't know what to do with that room. And now they're using, like, what seems to be some kind of sealant almost to close up these this like gas leak do you think like they should have had like some avatar version of flex tape here to close up the room what do you think (laughs) some flex seal uh no i think that uh the sort of thing that they did like makes sense i think the flex tape would have been better the thing (laughs) that was so weird to me is why on earth is Sokka being shown this room like it's not clear that the mechanist like needs help um or that like Sokka is going to stick around that long so like the mechanist and soccer are walking around. The mechanist is like, Hey, want to see a room with nothing in it? Like that's must be the most boring thing in the world. You're right. And they almost don't necessarily do a good job setting up this soccer and the mechanist relationship. But I guess like when he's showing off the candles to soccer or like the candle clock, soccer seemed enthused by his like four O candle joke. And then, so I think they have like a little rapport and then we'll see like soccer ends up helping develop the weaponry and the air balloon. So I guess he's like, Oh, soccer is this little smart kid. I should just like hit him up. Maybe the mechanist is like nobody else in my village is very handy with anything or is a good problem yeah. solver. So he enlists Sokka to help him with this problem. Because while the mechanist is a very intelligent guy, there's also like some like this in the air balloon. He doesn't really know what to do with it. Yeah. See, it makes sense why the mechanist and Sokka are such fast friends. Like they have very similar ideas. And I think like they would get along really well. 
the one thing that didn't make sense to me is like this guy probably has so many inventions that he could show, but instead he's showing a room with nothing in it. Like, why is he not showing him like, <laughs> oh, hey, and this is like the cutting board that I made. And this is like the like, I don't know any other invention. Maybe that, maybe I just feel like the that, room it has to be the last on the list. Yeah, maybe that all happened off screen, though. But then again, he does end up showing him some inventions later. So who knows? Yeah. Maybe it's okay. a goof on well, the writer's part. Who knows? Anyway, we get back to uh, Teo, who's showing around how to fly. He's telling Katara, uh, essentially, like, how you fly and, like, what you need. And he's struggling for the words. And that's when Aang says that what you need is spirit, which is the thing that he said people were lacking earlier when he saw them from a distance. And I think this is Aang starting to appreciate Teo. It's it's a, a nice moment that links back the very beginning of the episode to uh, this point. Yeah, because you can tell, like, while Teo's not an airbender, he's extremely passionate about flying, gliding, he really respects, even in their first little, like, showmanship battle in the in the air, you could tell Teo was, like, very impressed with Aang and very, like, was a fan almost in a way, so it's it's cool to see in this scene Aang coming around Teo. It was also cool seeing, I think this is the first time we see actually Katara mana glider herself. Maybe it's even the only instance of this, honestly. Yeah, and I, I do think that it is uh, the only instance, and I think here, like, when she jumps off it's so fun i really felt the emotions in the voice acting because it starts off as a scream out of fear but then quickly turns into laughing i remember the first time i ever went on a roller coaster i had a very similar experience where i was like so scared in the line like uh, literally like in tears as soon as we dropped i was crying but by the time that we were at the very bottom of the first hill i was laughing with joy so this was like very uh very good acting in my opinion yeah i i agree i really like the voice actress for katara may whitman she did an amazing job here but also the music as well i feel like avatar does such a good job whenever like there's one of these like important like scenes where they're talking about spiritual stuff like the music is always amazing like i felt like the music swelled as soon as she jumped off and then it correct like kareen like great stuff all around here and then one little funny gag they have is like Aang tells her right before she jumps, keep your mouth closed. You don't want to swallow a bug. And then Mo- you see Momo yeah. like gliding alongside them. He just opens his mouth and a bug just like flies in and he gets a little <laughs> snack there. Yeah. And then later when Katara is talking to Aang from the air, uh, she's saying something and she's like, uh, uh, bug and starts coughing because <laughs> she swallowed a bug. Yeah, I was surprised, like, when she swallowed the bug, she didn't, like, almost start to crash, you know what I mean? Because I felt like if I'm gliding for the first time and, like, I eat a bug, like, I, I don't I'd start panicking a little bit. I'd be like, ah, a bug in my throat, ah, I'm gonna, like, I know I feel like Aang would have to jump in and save me if I was in Katara's position, because... Uh, that's fair, yeah. Uh, Katara showing her composure yet again. True, true, true. Um, uh, yeah, so after, uh, after this... Aang sees that Teo has the spirit in him, and I think that he realizes that the request that he made earlier, that he wants to see what's inside the um, like one part of the temple that's been shut off, is like a very genuine one. It comes from a genuine place. And so Aang uh, says, like, okay, like, let's go see what's inside. Um, it might be best if we just like keep going. There's a bit of like cutting. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I agree. Cool. Um, so Aang, they walk up to the door. He does the thing where he blasts the uh, air through. The door starts to open, and we see a ton of Fire Nation army stuff. 
uh, we can see the inventor makes stuff for the bad guys. Yeah, it's, it's almost um, like a Fire Nation armory, I guess, would be the term yeah. for it. Because you see a lot of Fire Nation weapons. You see, like, the prototype for the balloon, I'm pretty sure, is in the back of yep. this room. So, yeah, and it looks, like, quite menacing, honestly. I don't know why this whole room had to be adorned with Fire Nation memorabilia. Like, he could have been building this Fire Nation stuff without having the room be all red and, like, looks like, I don't know, looks like in, like the depictions of hell you see in TV, like, just red. <laughs> everywhere like i don't know why it had to that's be such actually a true room. yeah like maybe the mechanist should have been like i'll make the stuff for you but like can you do the like stitching on and yeah, like yeah. you know make it yours like i'll do the invention you can do the decorating so that it's not clear i'm making stuff for the bad people yeah 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 that's no that's true i mean there's honestly not much else to glean from this teo was horrified because like teo had no idea his father was doing any of this and so, yeah, his reaction again, he, like his initial thing to, to wanting to open the door, that was very genuine as well. I thought I had the exact same thing in my notes. I even used the word genuine. And yeah, like he is an even more genuine response to this because later on when he sees he confronts his father about this, you could see like actual tears in his eyes. Like it's tough. Yeah. Imagine you're like you're a child, you're. Your dad did so much for you, and then it's revealed your dad is making, like, weapons for the Nazis, a la, like, Werner von Braun. So, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's not a great childhood, especially because this this dad clearly cares about his son, but uh, he's just in a bad position. So, now we'll go back to the Mechanist and Sokka, who are rummaging around um, the inventions. Sokka takes one page out of Uncle Iroh's book and knocks things down when he shouldn't be fiddling around with everything. Uh, and one of the things that he knocks down is weak old egg. Um, so now they have to try to find the egg. And as they're, you know, crawling around on the ground, they have a great idea to put egg in the gas so that now whenever gas leaks, instead of having gas, which you can't smell or see, you have rotten egg smell instead. Uh, this is pretty smart, but this also happens in real life, right? Like, this is what they do. Do they put eggs in ga- places with gas or, leaks? I think they put, like, sulfur or something. Oh, interesting. Is there a reason they don't put something that smells good? I know Lydia kind of had feedback along these lines, <laughs> but I was, I was just curious. Like, is it, I guess, is it sulfur? Like, you'll immediately recognize the scent right away, so you just need, like, the strongest, grossest scent? Yeah, I, I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, putting some, some cinnamon, cinnamon in it would be a lot better. Um, but then maybe every time you're baking, you're also worried that there's a gas leak. That's true. You need like a scent that you can distinguish from any other thing. Also, why did the, yeah. why does the mechanist have a weak old egg? What, was, what experience was he using that required a weak old rotten egg? Oh, I think it was just lunch and he's lazy. <laughs> that's gross. Like, I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what it is. Uh, yeah, because I was pretty grossed out, too. He offers no explanation no, for that one. at all. <laughs> that's why I was asking you. Because yeah. They don't explain it at all. And then uh, they have a little moment here where Sokka's like, you're a genius. And the Mechanist is like, you're a genius. So the Mechanist and Sokka are developing this little, like, nerd bromance over there. Yes. It's like when they both come to the same realization right away that they can put the rotten eggs in the gas chamber. So, yep. Yeah. Well, then we have the mechanist, uh, and there is a bell that goes off and the mechanist knows, I guess that the door, the vault has been opened. Um, when he runs down there, Aang uh, confronts him and, uh, the mechanist explains why essentially he has to give, uh, these weapons to the fire nation. He says that, after the Fire Nation found the settlement, they said they were going to burn everything down. Then uh, they said, like, what can you give us to not do that? And they uh, the Mechanist essentially said, like, I'll make weapons for you. And that's essentially all that you can do. I think that here the Mechanist, like, makes the right choice. Like, it's either 
lose your home uh, or make weapons, like out of self-preservation, I think you have to make the weapons. No, I agree. hundred percent out of self-preservation, preservation. He definitely has to make the weapons. There's nothing he could have done here. It sucks for Teo though. It's like coming to learning of this about his father. Like it, it is very like, I guess I could, I could feel the emotion off of him, even though it's just an animated character. Cause like you see him, it's like, he's not even talking just you just see his like tears start flowing down his face. And yeah, mm-hmm. but like you said, there's absolutely nothing he could have done. He was stuck yeah. between a rock and a hard place right here. And I think the mechanist does a good job of not involving everyone else. Like Teo had no idea about this. Ideally, um, like he would never have found out. Um, yeah. And like the mechanist even has this way that the uh, fire nation minister can come in through the floorboard essentially to get up there and meet with him. Yeah, so it seems like he's the only one who knows about this and he's like taking on this burden so everyone else can live a good life. Yeah. And that's a tough thing to do even to take on a burden like this. It must have weighed heavily on his conscience every day when he's going to sleep, knowing that as Teo will say, his experiments and weapons are being used for murder. And I think this is one of the first times we actually see even the term murder explicitly stated mm-hmm. in the Avatar show. Because it's true, like, they, and I, one thing I like about the Kiyoshi novels, which I won't spoil, but they're a little more mature, like, people die. And I think, like, Avatar The Last Airbender does a good job while it's a children's show. It's heavily implied, like, the Fire Nation is, like, pillaging and murdering a lot of the people they come across. And they're doing a yeah. lot of inhumane things to almost every, like, other tribe and they meet. So, I, 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 could, yeah. I could feel for both the Mechanist and Teo here. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And then, so um, this fire, you talk about the Fire Nation coming in the trap door. I, Aang quickly confronts him and sends him back on his way empty handed. But we're talking about murder here. I have a question for you. Would it, if Aang was not a pacifist, would it not make more sense for Aang to just kill this Fire Nation messenger? Well, I was going to say, like, you don't even have to kill him. You just have to, like, hold him hostage. Because, yes, yes. like, the Fire Nation is not going to be like, oh, he didn't come back after five minutes. Like, you could at least, like, interrogate him, yes. find out about his plan. Like, so, yeah, to back up a bit, like, Aang and Teo come back into the uh, Mechanist's private quarters. The Mechanist says, you need to hide because someone's coming. It's this Fire Nation guy who says, like, give me some army stuff. Uh, and then <laughs> so he said Aang, exactly that verbatim. Give me some army uh, stuff. But continue checking. Yes, I took, I took copious notes. Army <laughs> stuff was said for sure. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Just joking. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, Aang pops out, gives him a solid slap in the face with a little bit of air and sends him right on his way. Instead, you should keep him there. You should interrogate him. Like, that's not a pacifist thing to do to, uh, to like, keep him. I don't know. No, I thought this was a complete no, misplay. I, I agree completely because the reason is you, you, what you're saying is correct you don't even have to murder him keep him there keep him hostage time up the reason being you're just letting him go back you know you're saying okay we're not making weapons for you anymore so you're just letting him go back and alert the fire nation and then they're immediately able to launch an attack on the northern air temple because this messenger just goes back and reports like oh they're not giving us weapons burn the whole thing down burn it down like so yeah i i i, I was very confused at this this is one thing like ang i don't know like this was not the best decision but at least it works out and they win the battle here so see but this is why you need Sokka there because Sokka would be like hold up no 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 you're not going like uh tell us at least some information first I feel like Sokka would not have just let him go in his merry little way that's true because the thing with Aang is like I mean he's one of the most powerful benders in the show but as we've talked about briefly he's not the best strategist when it comes to some of these like plans that Aang concocts that's like Sokka's role in the group and that's uh that's the role that Sokka shines in especially in season two and season three yeah. 
Well, um, for some reason, Aang feels very confident that he can take on the uh, military that's coming. He says that uh, because the Fire Nation has to come up from the ground, uh, that they're able to win because they have the air. Uh, I felt like this was a great time for a uh, like reference to the Star Wars episode three. I was just thinking, like, that. I have the higher ground. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. no, I was because that's that's the I'm not even a big Star Wars guy, but of course, like Anakin and Obi Wan Kenobi, I have the high ground. That's yeah, that was exactly. my first thought when I heard this phrase used as uh, well. I'm glad great minds think alike. Yeah, so then Sokka, so now they're planning this ba- their battle strategy. Sokka explains that he got the war balloon working by putting a lid at the top of it. So then you can open, you can open the lid with a rope to let hot air escape. So then if you're controlling the air that's escaping, you can control the balloon moving, which makes sense. Very intelligent plan from Sokka here. But like, while him and the scientists seem to have developed this little bromance, Aang and Katara are like laughing every time <laughs> Sokka and yeah. the mechanist do anything. Like, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, one little funny thing. Uh, so, uh, like, Lydia, my girlfriend, goes by Lid all the time. So when it said, like, a Lid is the solution, I, I was, like, uh, thinking about that. And and then, uh, so, yeah, she texted me when she watched the episode, and she was like, a Lid is the solution. A Lid's always a solution. <laughs> so I guess for hot air balloons and for my life, a Lid is always the answer. Yeah, and then, so, Kutsaka also explains, they got four kinds of bombs. Stink, fire, slime, and smoke. I have a question. Could they not have combined the stink and the slime bomb to just make, like, a stinky mm. slime? That's a, that is a great point. Yeah. I had not thought of that. I was actually going to ask you to rank those four and tell me what your power rankings of those four bombs would be. Yeah, I mean, initially I would have firebomb one, but I feel like firebombs don't really work on the fire nation, like, at all. Like, they're just, they seem pretty mm-hmm. impervious to fire, and these, like, machines that they're using to come up this mountain, they also seem pretty, like, um, not flammatory at all. So, yeah, I don't know if I'd rank fire the highest. I don't see, I'd go, like, smoke one, because I feel like with the smoke, you can just, you can conceal yourselves and then launch an attack with, like, Aang and Katara. Mm-hmm. So, but smoke one, uh, slime two, because the slime does work. It's almost an issue is, like, they don't have enough slime bombs. So, and then I'll put uh, fire three and stink four. I think stink, even though uh, the Whoa. mechanist has, like, don't forget the power of stink. I think stink's pretty useless. And here you are, not listening to the mechanist's wise words. You are underestimating the power of stink, Zach. Well, I mean, but the stink doesn't even come into use unless you count, like, the natural gas leak that Sokka will end up exploding to, like, win the battle. Yeah. But I think, like, what, if the stink bomb was, like, what turned the tides of the battle, then sure, I'd rank it higher. But, I uh, yeah, no, I'm going to continue underestimating the power of the stink. <laughs> Contrary to what totally the fair, I also have stink at the bottom of my okay, uh, power rankings. There, I think that if you combine stink and slime, then you're cooking. Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah, I think the slime is the best. Yes, I think so too. Because the slime, we actually see like so many of the Fire Nation, like their machines and the Fire Nation soldiers themselves, get actually stuck in the slime and are rendered immobile. So, uh, yeah, like I, I agree with what you're saying mm-hmm. there, uh, but. Again, the mechanist did say not to underestimate it. So here we are underestimating it. Shame on us. (laughs) Shame on us. So the battle starts and Aang and Teo make quick work of like most of the level one spear wielding grunts making their way up the mountain. And that's the thing, like these guys who wield the spears, they never do anything useful. And yet the Fire Nation keeps trotting them out. Like after a certain point, you just retire like any person who's just a spear wielder. 
Yeah, I mean, they have a pretty crummy job because they have to walk up the entire mountain, whereas the other people just get to sit in a tank. True. And then, yeah, they get to do nothing. And we've seen time and time again that they are just losing over and over. They've not done a single productive thing. So I agree with you, Zach. It's time to retire the spearbenders for sure. (laughs) Yeah, you're you're right. I kind of almost pity them in a way because they're just like sent to just get destroyed while everybody like while the tanks and all those people come up behind them. Yeah. Well, and what I was thinking is you are one earthbender away from not even being able to walk up that mountain. Uh, Like Aang creates a sort of avalanche by hitting the snow off the top and knocking that down. But if there's an earthbender, they can just change the like flat uh, like path up to like a slanted one where you fall down. That's true. It really seems like these spearmen have a terrible job because one earthbender in that entire colony and they are screwed. No, you're right. I didn't even think of that. And yeah, if you have one competent earthbender, they could even knock off the tanks because you could just like shoot like a blast of stone. So yeah, you're right. If imagine if Toph was here, she'd just like solo be able to like destroy this (laughs) army by herself, honestly. See, I was thinking even the canyon guide um, from the <laughs> earlier episodes, because we know the canyon guide was paranoid about people following him, uh, so he like took down the path to get followed. No, by you're the Fire right, Nation. You're right. If he's here, then he's clutching this one out. Yeah, you don't even need a boomy or a tough. That's what I mean. You just need like a competent airbender. Because you're right, that like senile old tour guide. He actually he showed yeah. he was a decent bender when his like legs weren't broken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, big caveat that, you know, no broken limbs makes it a bit easier to bend. Yeah, but, so yeah, I, I think that you're one earthbender away from these people being useless. No, I agree. Completely. And like, it's got to take so long to walk up there, too. Yeah, they do not. And it's probably cold and like higher elevation. They're probably struggling to breathe. Nah, I, I kind of I kind of pity these spear wielding yeah. grunts. So then Aang and Teo and like the gliding civilians, they run into this issue, this issue because they see these huge armored armored vehicles with like grappling hooks and almost tracked wheels. I want to say like, oh, they're like going up the mountain, like vertically somehow they're able to just roll up the mountain and they're able to shoot fire as well. And they have these grappling hooks, so they can shoot these grappling hooks. Aang does this thing, and this was crazy to me. He knocks off one of the grappling hooks off the mountain, which should have, in theory, made this vehicle tumble down the mountain. But somehow, while it's tumbling away, it's able to shoot another grappling hook. This seemed pretty far-fetched to me. Like, I feel like there's no way (laughs) a machine would be able to, like, shoot a hook in midair and then adjust itself again. Like, I don't know. I I thought this... I thought Aang should have just destroyed this one, like... Uh, no, I think that that's a good point. Uh, I was going to say, just as these like foot soldiers are on the run, we see these tanks and they are OP. Like these are very strong. Um, yeah, because it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to have a second grappling hook. Like I know if you're like parachuting, you'd probably want a second parachute in case the first one doesn't work. But when you're in free fall... Catching yourself with a grappling hook is probably not your go-to. Exactly. So yeah, I, I found that so odd. Like, that was the only thing in this battle that was like, ah, oh, this makes almost no sense, which is very far-fetched to me. Yeah. No, I think that's actually a good point uh, because there are so many other uh, tanks that mm-hmm. it's not like they need for this tank to be around for it to still be intimidating. So they probably should have let this one fall. Yeah, I mean, no, but these vehicles, like you were saying, they're very imposing, intimidating, and well-designed. Because, like, at one point, I think Katara flips one upside down, but then they can keep moving forward even as they're flipped upside down. Yeah, so Aang, uh, like, shoots some air blasts at them and flips them upside down. Oh. And that's when Katara hears that uh, that they have some water mechanism in them. And those water mechanism keeps it balanced. Uh, Katara, on hearing that, jumps into Teo's, uh, like, glider gets on the ground and she actually starts taking a few of them out 
she starts tearing them apart. Uh, it takes a little bit of time, but she's able to flip them. And I think she's able to break them because uh, she like freezes the water balance mechanism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's able to like w- bend the water inside them and like take off their wheels. But after a certain point, this ragtag group of gliders plus Katara and Aang, they're just overwhelmed by the sheer numbers of the Fire Nation because Katara is able to take out a c- couple of tanks, but she can't take out all of them. She's only one person. Yeah, um, it's going to be very hard for Katara and even Aang together to take out all these tanks. For some reason, capturing this northern air temple is like the most important thing on the Fire Nation. Yeah, they today. sent the I mean, whole militia. Which is, <laughs> I guess they want all the blueprints for all the weapons and stuff. They're like, okay, if the mechanist is not working for us, we need all his information. Which makes sense, honestly, because if he's building tanks like this, from what we see, if he's building like ver- like stuff like weapons like this, then yeah, you definitely need all those blueprints and stuff for your own self-interest so i can actually see why it's very and it's an imperative decision for like the fire nation to get control of this air temple yeah but at the same time bossing say has been standing for a hundred years and they haven't taken that down like you don't want to send these tanks to bossing say and scale the wall there like come on i think that there's something more you can do like for all of these people to be here seemed a bit excessive you're like, right but to uh, yeah. play devil's advocate here i and I, I don't even know this is in the episode but i was reading like um about the mechanist on the avatar wiki and they were saying like he ha- was the one who created the blue pits for the drill and we're gonna see in season two the drill is what they actually end up using to pierce the wall of bossing say because i think they failed in almost every aspect of conquer like it's been a hundred years and they have not been able to conquer bossing say so maybe the the Fire Nation is like, okay, we need what the Mechanist has to be able to conquer Bossing Say. Uh, yeah, I mean, you make a <laughs> you, good you point, I guess. buy that theory. <laughs> I, I just feel like uh, it was a bit excessive, but hey, what can you do? Uh, they, stop drop, they start dropping all these slime bombs, and even the slime bombs are not enough. Uh, they're only slowing them down for a few seconds. Why do they only have three slime so. bombs, though? That was my thing, because Sokka comes in with the nick of time with the air balloon, and they drop these huge slime bombs, and they work. Like, they actually take out a couple of tanks. But yeah, they only have, like, three of them. I, I counted. I was... Uh, yeah, it didn't seem like it was enough, but at a certain point, because they're in a hot air balloon, they're not going to be able to, you know, have all the That's stuff true. weighing That's you true. down as you no, want. You, so. that, that is a very good point. Yeah, but because the Fire Nation emblem is on the side of the balloon, then uh, none of the Fire Nation's attacking it, so they are able to pretty effectively drop the slime bombs right on the people where they need to. Um, yes. But still, like, it seems like all hope is lost. Uh, it seems like there is uh, no way to stop all of these tanks. And just then, Sokka and the Mechanist tar- start to smell a little bit of rotten egg. Yeah, Sokka calls a quick audible and decides to use their fuel source as a bomb. After smelling the rotten eggs, the natural gas leak near where the Fire Nation militia was stationed. So this is a very intelligent plan for Sokka. This is one of the times we're kind of seeing Sokka over season one, like develop into this like strategy. Because early in season one, he has some plans that are pretty bad, honestly. Like <laughs> he has some plans he concocts that are not great. They don't necessarily work out. But here, this is a very smart. I mean, it puts him and the mechanist in danger because as soon as he does this they're gonna like crash and burn but he's able to explode the side of the mountain which causes like basically it destroys like the crevice and the fire nation can't cross so that basically wins the battle for them 
And then Aang yeah. is glides in. He's able to save Sokka and the scientists. And to be honest, we are 17 episodes in here, and I still don't necessarily understand how Aang is able to support the weight of both Sokka and the mechanist <laughs> while on his glider and while flying upwards. Because that's the one thing that's crazy. Aang is actually flying on an upward slant, and he's able to support the weight of both Sokka and the mechanist here. Did you notice this as well? Am I crazy? No, I, I noticed this, and I think that this is the difference between gliding and flying. I think in gliding, like, uh, if Teo is to try to do this, then there's no chance that he was going to be able to. But Aang must be bending the air as he's doing this mm-hmm. to make it lighter. Like, it must be like, you know how people in water, it's, like, easy to lift them up? Like, yes. you can lift, like, even the biggest person in water. Like, that must be the same sort of thing for an airbender in air. Like, you can lift up more than what it is because you can also, like lift up the air with them i like it has to be something no, like that I, I, because I, if not then they'd fall i want to pay more attention to ang when he's gliding because i feel like you're right he probably is bending somehow but it's also like when he's on the glider his two front hands are used to like almost hold the handles for lack of a better term and usually we see like benders gotta bend with their hands but knowing ang maybe just blowing air straight out of his mouth we've seen him time time again <laughs> blow like huge gusts of winds so i uh, yeah it could it probably is just him bending them yeah, I mean, this is me giving a very charitable uh, <laughs> charitable reading of what's happening because, yeah, it does not seem like it's clear what's what's going on here. It seems like it should be, uh, you know, the mechanist and Sokka falling. But no, no, that would not make a very good episode. You're right, you're right. But then we move on. They, they win the battle. They kind of celebrate. And then Aang talks about this hermit crab analogy earlier with Teo. He tells them, you guys were not originally from here, but you've made it home, and I'm glad you did. So Aang has come around. He's happy with them living in the Northern Air Temple. And yeah, what were your thoughts on, the, I guess, like, is there anything else you want to get into in this final scene? Anything that jumped out to well, you? Well, yeah, so the last thing that we see, actually, is the Fire Nation recovers the hot air balloon. And they say that, uh, like, even though we lost, that this is the pathway to many victories as they are able to inflate the balloon with fire. And we sort of got an ominous ending. Most of these episodes end with, like, a very happy ending. Like, most episodes, I feel, would end with the Hermit Crab analogy. Um, and it might be like the Fire Nation finds the air balloon and then we go to the Hermit Crab. But yes. interestingly, this one ends uh, a little bit of, on a negative tone. Yeah, and we're going to see these war balloons come back as well as like the Fire Nation by season three. They're going to have like war balloons, war blimps. They're going to have a lot of war machines yeah. going forward. So this is not the last time we'll see any Fire Nation militia wielding yeah. such terrifying machines. No, it's true. I think that Aang shows a lot of growth, actually, throughout this episode. I agree. Yeah. Uh, like, we see Aang, who's, like, very upset at the beginning that everything's being ruined. Like, I feel like episode three Aang, like, if he had visited the Northern Air Temple first, he would have gone in the Avatar state and, like, killed everyone. Because, um, like, just the fact that no one was there was sad. If it had been destroyed, he would have been even more distraught. But in this episode, he's able to really come to the conclusion that at the end that these people should have the home and maybe it's not the way that he remembers it or the way he would want it, but these people are happy there and they're able to have a good life. I really like seeing this growth from them. No, same. I thought, yeah, you worded that perfectly. You summed it up perfectly well because, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Aang's growth in this episode and the way how he comes to appreciate these people. Like, yeah, they're kind of desecrating the temple a little bit and they're not airbenders, mm-hmm. but they still, they respect the idea, the idea of airbending and they take it very seriously. And yeah, with Teo and his glider and stuff too, you could tell like, while Teo is not an airbender, he does have the spirit of an airbender. Uh, yes, he definitely is the spirit of an airbender. And I think that, yeah, like this episode is uh, pretty well done. Like, I think that 
I, I, whenever I used to think back on this, this was like always an episode I remember loving. And I think I see why, like there are lots of good points in this episode. Uh, it feels like it goes a little bit fast actually. Yeah. Uh, but the characters of Teo and the mechanist are all really good. I think at the end of the day, this is like a pretty good episode for season one. Yeah, I agree. This is a solid episode. We're out of like, I think, like I said, like the rough stretch of episodes. And I think this, the waterbedding yes. master next week's pretty good. I enjoyed, um, the last week's episode, the deserter with Jiang Zhang as well. And yeah, we're almost, we're creeping up to the finale as well, too. We're, we're almost that is there. True. It's crazy. Like, I feel like this season one has kind of flown by in a way. It feels like we just started the podcast yesterday and we're already at the end of season one today. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, pretty crazy that we're, we are nearly done, but yeah, I think that this is a good episode. Um, yeah. So maybe Zach, do you want to get into our episode rankings? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to give this episode, I'll give it 3.2 cabbages out of four. Solid episode. I think one thing that weighs it down a little bit for me is like this battle is not necessarily very memorable. Like when I was thinking about it, cause I remembered a lot of this episode, but I didn't necessarily remember the battle. And like, I don't know. It wasn't that interesting. Like there's not really any cool firebending or stuff. Like, yeah, it was cool seeing the initial tanks and like how imposing they were. But overall, the battle was a little forgettable to me. But what about yourself? Yeah. Uh, I have this episode at a 3.4. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I really liked this episode as a kid. So it definitely have a little bit of bias. there, just remembering how much I liked uh, seeing all the cool machines. And I think we get a good introduction to the mechanist and Teo who are good side characters. Um, yeah, I agree with what you're saying though. Like the battle is not uh, great, but I think that like the growth that they have uh, or that Aang has, and I think the discussion between nature and progress is like really good. And it like makes me, um, it makes me just like really high on this episode. So good memories, good episode. I'm way on board. Yeah, that's true. That nature um, and progress conversation actually like that was a, just like last episode. I had to like sit down and think about it for a little bit. I was like, mm, look, yeah. for I get yeah. for a children's show. This is pretty like deep stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. This it does a great job of like tackling things that you actually have to think about, but also yeah. not like uh, you know sitting on them for so long that it's like a boring children's episode. Like they they say it, they move on, and you're just left to think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you said, Teo and Mechanist, amazing side characters, and that's what I love. Like when you have like one of these single episode arcs of Avatar, when they're able to introduce like these side characters that are able to leave a lasting impression on you just in 22 minutes of time. I think that's when you know you have a really good episode of Avatar in your hands. Yeah, I agree. The audience is right in between us at a 3.31. Oh, wow. So that'll leave look at that. this. Yeah, that'll leave this episode at a 3.3. All right. Definitely a recovery from uh, some of our worst episodes earlier this year. Yeah, true. And I'm very happy, honestly, because I think going forward, we're going to have some great episodes. We're going to have a guest next week, and then we're going to get into the finale. We might have some off-season stuff. Then season two, it's not that far. Like, 2021, we're going to be starting season two. I'm excited. Like, from here on out, I don't think there's even going to be, like, I can't think of a really bad episode in season two, or even the rest of season one. I I, I love, this is a minor spoiler alert, but I really enjoyed the season one finale. I've rewatched it a bunch. Like, maybe I'll watch it again and, like, think a little lower of it, but I doubt it. So, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the season one finale is super strong. Mm-hmm. And then we get Toph, who's just like uh, elevates the series so much higher. And I think that, uh, yeah, we will not look back from the low of the uh, Bato. The Bato low. How do you like that little rhyme? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, sounds good to me. 
Um, yeah, so that is our episode rankings. As always, you can be a part of the listener rankings by giving us a rating between zero and four cabbages. You can send those at Posho Recaps or at our uh, email, avatar at poshorecaps.com. Uh, we'll, where we take any and all feedback there. Uh, next thing we're doing is the Battle of the Battle Rankings. Zach, you said you weren't very high on this battle. What do you rank it? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best battle. I'll give it a 2.8 out of 4. Not necessarily my favorite battle, if I'm being honest. It was good. There was some solid stuff. I enjoyed, like, Sokka and the Air Balloon and, like, them actually using some strategy in the case of Katara and the counterbalance having water in it. So, I didn't necessarily despise it, but overall, just kind of meh. Like, I feel like five episodes from now, I'm going to, like, completely forget this battle ever happened. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I think Daniel wrote in and he said that it was cool to see that a change of pace with aircrafts be tanks making up the final battle in comparison to the usual bending type one versus bending type two. Uh, and I completely agree. Like, I think it was a nice change of pace to sort of uh, like have these machines enter the battle. But ultimately I don't think that the machines do as much in this episode as they will in other episodes. I, I agree with uh, that, but I like, I actually, I, maybe it's just my personal bias. I just enjoy like the bending type one and bending type versus t- bending two battles. Cause I feel like every time they do that, there's like a new type of bending that we haven't seen before. Like every time Ang fights, yep. he does a technique that I have not seen him do prior. So that's why I just personally enjoy those battles a little more. Yeah. That's a good point. But even like the tanks were constructed uh, like in a way such that the middle person was like the cannon that was shooting the fire. Yeah, we didn't like, there was no sort that, of mechanism. You're right. Because they're shooting fire. And initially I thought that was like part of the tank. But it turns out now it's a little firebender there shooting them out. Yeah. So I, I think that like this is a, kind of still a bending type one versus bending type two. There's just like a little bit of extracurriculars going on <laughs> in the back. Ultimately, I'm not super high on this fight myself. I think this is a passing fight at a three, uh, and that'll leave the fight at a 2.9. Um, yeah, I like. I, ultimately, I'm glad that we'll get back to more of like bender, bender versus bender fights. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think it is kind of cool to see this technology in the world as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I co-sign all of that. And then did you want to get into our um, uh, T-Quartet? Is that the next segment uh, up on the docket? Yeah. Actually, first, let's uh, answer a few more oh, listener you're, questions. You're right. You're right. My apologies. I, always, I do no this worries. almost every episode. I just skip listener feedback. For some reason, in my head, we do the T-Quartet first, even though we never do that. So my apologies. Okay. So which, what feedback do you want to tackle first? Uh, yeah. I think Sarah asked a really good question in the Facebook group that you had a good answer to, Zach. Uh, this is always something that interested me. But she asked, what age is the Avatar meant to take place in if they have war balloons? Yeah, I think it's it's really weird. Like we can roughly estimate that it's like eighteen hundreds, maybe early nineteen hundreds, but not necessarily. I feel like it's sometime in the eighteen hundreds, honestly, because we'll see with Legend of Korra, and this is like not necessarily a spoiler, but Legend of Korra takes place in what seems to be our world's version of the nineteen twenties, nineteen tens, like early nineteen hundreds, essentially. So I think we could safely assume that because of that, uh, Avatar: Cerebrum takes place like a century before. But if you don't have have that knowledge of Legend of Korra that I would guess like 1700s, 1800s, maybe in that ballpark, I guess. What about yourself? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like we're uh, getting to like, um, I don't know, Civil War era technologies where yes. like we're seeing some like actual technology enter war. Um, but there's also lots of like hand to hand fighting. I just think it's cool to like think about it in the context of 
what would it be like uh, in today's world? So, yeah, I'm glad that Sarah asked that question because I mean, it's not something that we had discussed yet. The thing with the armored tanks, though, is that while I think Avatar takes place like 1700s, 1800s, a tank like that would be revolutionary technology even in like oh, yeah. World War II, you know what I mean? So it's tough to give like a one-for-one comparison <laughs> of like what time Avatar takes place because some of the things that Avatar would be revolutionary even in our world, like in modern day times almost. Yeah, yeah. The the mechanist in a way is sort of like Da Vinci yes, in real life, yes. like an inventor that's just way ahead of his time. Yes. He comes up with these inventions that like are crazy. Uh, like I remember playing an Assassin's Creed game where Da Vinci comes up with a tank and I was like, oh, this is so out of place. But then I looked it up and like Da Vinci sort of had an idea for a tank, like even way back then. So I feel like the mechanist is just way ahead of his time. Yeah. And the early Assassin's Creed games are pretty historically accurate too. They do a good job with that. So... Yeah, you're, you're saying the uh, new Viking one's probably not historically accurate? I, mean, I, I know nothing it. about it. I don't it, know. So it I could, could be, be wrong, yeah. but I just feel like Ubisoft kind of moved away from a lot of like the historically accurate stuff. But Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Maria also wrote in, and she said, It's a miracle and some cartoon logic that blowing up the vein of gas with the engine didn't disrupt the structural integrity of the mountain, bringing down the whole temple down with it. I get that would have been too dark, but it doesn't make sense to me that enough force that the Fire Nation to retreat without causing any serious damage. Zach, can you come up with any scenario why the temple would be protected and the mountainside is completely gone? No, and I have, but I want to actually piggyback onto what Maria is saying. Not only should the temple have been destroyed, because honestly it should have, the explosion was pretty large, but how did like no fire bet and fire nation people like die as soon as he drops like this bomb and then it causes like a huge just like hole in the side of the mountain. Like wouldn't a bunch of like the spear wielding grunts and like some of the people fall in that hole and just tumble oh. to their deaths so that no, was they, my issue with this scene it's like these guys at least some of them should have been dead like they should not have been able to mount a full retreat like it should have been a half retreat you know what i mean no i think that uh they show some of the people backing up and retreating but uh 100 some of those people fell to their death so yeah i think that we need to you know pour one out for the poor people <laughs> that were just spear wielding had no shot anyway uh and definitely fell to their death because there is no way that they all made it yeah, at least that was my issue. It's like they didn't even acknowledge the fact that like some of these people are almost certainly dead. Sokka's got some blood on his hands. Like I don't know, if, yep. I don't know how he can sleep well at night with that. But no, Maria, you do raise yeah. a very good point. They're like, <laughs> I mean, what do you think, Jacob? Like, I it was a pretty large explosion directly on the side of the mountain. Even if the northern air tunnel is not completely destroyed, it should have had some structural damage. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was trying to think of some like silly reason, like why maybe like the the column that was uh, like supported the temple was stronger than the rest of the mountainside. But I can't come up with anything. <laughs> like I'm I'm you know I'm always one to come up with a ridiculous explanation. That's true. But even I'm lost on that <laughs> one. So I think Maria, you've stumped us there. Um, yep, Lydia actually wrote that maybe we should go back to our last segment, Zach, because she asked if we're going to rank the glider off as a battle. Uh, you think that we should? Uh, I mean, we talked about it. It's not necessarily a battle, though, is it not? It's just like an act no. of showmanship. I think, though, I, who, who do I you agree. think won that, though? Like, well, rather than rank the battle, who do you think won this, like, um, air show that they put on? Um, well, Lydia says that uh, Teo wins for originality. I think I'm going to give it for to Teo as well. Maybe not for originality, but for having more fun with it. Uh, you know, we do see Aang with a Michael Jordan tongue out, uh, and he's definitely like really focused, but he doesn't seem to be having a good time at all. Uh, I feel like Teo's laughing the whole time, having fun. Now I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and vote for him. What about you, Zach? 
Yeah, no, I'm a vote for Teo as well, especially his very accurate drawing of Aang, because not only is he displaying incredible gliding abilities, but he's also a good artist in the sky, because that actually looks like Aang. I was very impressed with that drawing. So, yeah, no, I give it to Teo as well, 100%. And then Lydia. Yeah, that's a good point. Lydia also talks about, she's like, (laughs) I'm just reading this now. The Fire Nation is obsessed with fighting on other people's turf. Let's fight waterbenders on boats. Let's employ hot air balloons on the avatars of little (laughs) airbenders. Aang could just bend the air in the Fire Nation balloons and they're done for. I'm just saying, you put Fire Nation headquarters in an active volcano and this is a whole different ball game. And this is a very good point. Like, <laughs> the Fire Nation soldiers, they kind of are always fighting at a disadvantage here. And I think, like, I don't know, while the Fire Nation might have the most numbers, some of their military strategy is kind of baffling at times, to say the least. So, very astute observation from Lydia. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, I Yeah, if these people could just fight where they're going to win, I feel like it's a lot easier. We do see a lot of the Fire Nation prisons are in uh, areas where it's like hard to bend. So like um, we see that there's a Fire Nation prison for waterbenders that's like in a boiling pit yes, so that they can't yes, we like, did see that. bend like, the water. With George Sakai and the Warden too. We see that yep, as yeah. well where it's like the earthbenders are on the water so they can't earthbend. So. Yep. So it's, they do seem to do pretty well with their prisoners, but yeah, they pick fights where they should not be picking them. Last question from Lydia. She says, uh, what ingredient would you use to seep natural gas filled cellar? Uh, rotten eggs cannot be the best option. So it sounds like, yeah, like I think we talked about this a little bit, but we can put any smell in there to make it clear, uh, why you would want to, um, like find the natural gas. But I guess if you could pick a smell, which one would you pick? I put a vanilla smell. I like the just scent of vanilla. It's just nice and calming. It just smells so good. I remember one of my teachers, I had an English teacher in grade 11. She had like this vanilla perfume that always smelled so good. Mm. I mean, I guess I kind of yeah. sound like a creep for mentioning that, but I feel like a lot of people commented <laughs> on it. It was a very nice smelling perfume mm. and it's not like she's going to listen to this I- anyways. I was not going to say you're a creep, but okay. uh, I, yeah, I guess you are Uncle Zach after all. So gotta be a little creepy. <laughs> yeah, no, shout out Miss Vicoya. Good teacher. So, all right, there you go. Yeah, I think uh, like maybe the smell of some warm brownies. Uh, Ooh, I don't know if you good. could smell their warm or not, but uh, that's what I would go with. Yeah, I don't know if that's like a scent like that's common in like fragrances and stuff because I love the brownie is probably my favorite dessert, but I've never like had the scent of a brownie like freshly baked captured in a perfume or anything like that before. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Maybe people should get on that. Uh, yeah, like I know we have waterproof makeup now in real life. Like we should get some brownie scented candles. Yeah, because whenever people say something's like chocolate scented, I feel like it never really smells exactly like chocolate. It always smells kind of weird. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, I bet the mechanist could have gotten that for us. So it's really sad that he's a fake character. <laughs> true, true, true. And I guess that's yeah. all for our feedback. Overall, thanks to everybody who sends in feedback. You can uh, email at us email us at postshowrecaps.com slash avatar. Correct? Is that correct, yep. And then you can also uh, yep. leave um, uh, five-star reviews at postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. That's our dedicated yep. feed link. Yeah, and tweeted us at Post Show Recaps as well to get in your feedback. Last thing we have for you today is the Tea Quartet. We're finishing off the Disney princesses. This time we have Rapunzel, Tiana, Merida, and Moana. Uh, yeah, spoiler yeah. alert for everybody. I did not watch these movies. I talked about these last week. Maybe I'll see any of them. So I had a little busy week. I ended up moving, so I did not um, watch these films. That being said, though, what I decided to do, I decided to switch it up a little bit. Because I hadn't seen any of these, I decided to just... 
put slot them into bending disciplines based on my first impression of them. And spoiler alert, I hit the nail on the head because I got the exact same as Jacob, who, <laughs> who actually watched all these movies. So would you look at that? I didn't even have to watch them, and I got their exact bending types. And as always, with this segment, if you have a disagreement with us and what we put them in in the T-Quartet, write us back. I mean, Sarah's done that before where she's written yep. her own version with the Disney princesses. So, yeah, if you think, if you, like, completely disagree with one of the princesses we put in a bending class here, add us. We'll debate you in the DM. so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, all for that. So, yeah, yeah if uh, if... If Zach is wrong, then you can he can blame it on not seeing these movies before. If I'm <laughs> wrong, I've got no nothing, uh, no True. excuse. So definitely let me hear it. So should we start with uh, Moana? Because that's one of the easier ones you were telling me in the pre-show. Uh, yeah, sure. We can start with Moana. Uh, so I think, well, first off, uh, she is a literal waterbender. So that one, uh, <laughs> I feel like that one makes it pretty easy uh, to say what she would be. Obviously, she's on an island. So water uh, like is a lot in the movie. But I also feel like her sort of like strong-willed nature um, is sort of what makes her a waterbender. Like she has a lot of pride and identity in being from uh, like the island. I feel like this is very similar to actually what we see with other waterbenders that we see in the series. Like Katara and Sokka are very proud to be members of the Southern Water Tribe. And I feel like I see that in Moana as well. Um yeah, I feel like she's got like the passion of a waterbender. I feel like she has those emotions going back and forth. And I feel like when she is at her best, it's when she's controlling her emotions. And I feel like that's what a waterbender does. Zach, what's your first impression? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I mean, funny story here. It's like, I've never seen Moana, but what I have seen is um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's character singing You're Welcome, because one of my <laughs> friends used to always play the bass-boosted version for another friend to annoy him, and it's like, every time he says You're Welcome, the bass gets boosted times 100. So it's like, what? <laughs> so by the end, it's just like a distorted mess. But So I've heard that, what oh, can God. I say, except you're welcome. So I've heard that song a million times, but that's, that's the only clip I've seen from this movie. But even from that, I get the sense like Moana's a very strong character. She's not intimidated by this like hulking water spirit at all, pretty much. So, no, I agree with you. I agree with all what you're saying. And of these four movies, the one I kind of want to watch the most after doing these like initial first impressions is Moana. I want to give Moana like a full watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely should. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, the next one up that I think is easy is Merida. Uh, mm-hmm. She's got the hair for sure. <laughs> that's that's uh, what I had fiery- about. I was like red yep. hair. She kind of got like a scowl on her face. Put her as a firebender. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's true. Uh, she's the one who's like the free spirit. She's rebellious. I think that she kind of shuns like whatever she's supposed to do and is just an individual. Uh, and I think that that makes her the uh, the firebender. She doesn't really care to be proper. I think that kind of annoys her and she just wants to be herself. And I feel like, yeah, that's what makes you a firebender as well as that sort of individualistic streak. Um, more so than like an airbender, which like also might be like individualistic, not really care like what, um, like what other people think about her, but instead, uh, she sort of is confrontational as well with it. And I think that's what makes her the firebender. Zach, what was your first impression? Yeah, I just thought, like, she's got the red hair. She looks kind of, like, intimidating almost. She's got her bow and arrow. I was just like, yeah, I could see her as, like, one of the Yuyan archers in the Fire Nation. That's what I was thinking. That's a good call. Yeah, I like it. I have a question for you Uh, about Brave. So, is Brave a Pixar movie? Yes, it is a Pixar movie. So, Merida's the first um, Disney princess that was made in a not, like, Disney movie. 
um, or I guess like Disney proper movie, mm-hmm. but she is a Disney princess and it's like a Disney and Pixar joint venture. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know Disney and Pixar, of course, is like one and the same pretty much, but I feel like brave is the most forgettable movie in the sense that I never hear anybody talk about it or reference it in any pop culture at all. You've seen it. Is there like a reason for that? Sorry to go a little on a tangent here, but I'm just kind of curious. No, um, I, I think it's fine. Like, I actually wasn't uh, a huge fan of this one. Uh, now I'm sure people will come for me if they really like Brave. <laughs> I don't know if I wasn't a huge... many Brave stands out there, but continue your point, was it? <laughs> That's fair. I, I, like, I, I ultimately, I didn't think that this was, like, a super interesting one. Like, you know, we're, with all these other movies, like, Moana is, like, a very new story. Like, Tiana is set in New Orleans, which is, like, totally outside the, uh, like, normal Disney princess movie. I felt like this is more, like, chalk. It's more like what you'd expect. Um, and, like, it doesn't have, like, any banging songs that are just, like, incredible, like, bops, must put them on every playlist, like, <laughs> all the time. So, I feel like that's, like, mainly, uh, yeah, mainly the reason why it's not as watched as often. Cause like, if you think about like frozen, like I'm not sure if people are sitting down to watch the movie, but they definitely will like listen to a few of the songs. Yeah. I, I think frozen is also one of those things where it's like, it was really popular when it came out, but then now I don't think people are really rewatching it, but they're all listening to like, let it go. Um, yeah. and then, yeah. Where did you want to go next here? Uh, next I want to go with, uh, I think Rapunzel Rapunzel, I believe is the airbender of the group. Um, she's definitely like naive because she was like sheltered for so long living in a tower and all that jazz. I feel like what makes Rapunzel the, uh, airbender is not that she has that like naive childness that Aang has. I feel like it's more that she takes, uh, great enjoyment out of everything she does in life. I feel like she capitalizes on any opportunity, um, to make something creative, whether it's like art and music while she's in the tower or singing with a group of misfits in that weird bar that they go to. So I feel like this sort of uh, thing, this like ability to find joy in all parts of life is what makes her the airbender. Yeah, for Tangled and uh, Tiana as well, for Rapunzel and Tiana, I had I did a little bit of research because I wasn't a hundred, like, you know, looking at their, for, like, Moana and uh, Merida, it's pretty easy to, like, slot them in, just, like, looking at them, but then, whereas with these two, I was like, okay, I gotta do a little bit of research, and so it was on the Disney Princess Wiki, and what I gleaned from Rapunzel is, like, like you were saying, she's able to see the good in everything, almost. She's able yes. to, no matter what situation she's in she's able to make it her own and i feel like that's a very airbender trait so for that reason i had her as my airbender as well yeah uh i think that leaves tiana as the earthbender uh i do think she is an earthbender i think she is like grounded she deals with lots of like real world problems i guess uh, before she turns into a frog in which case it becomes a little bit sillier but like her personality is like she's the one who's like working hard she runs the shop like she is focused on i guess uh making the best out of herself and she like takes things into her own hands and i feel like you know that sort of like strong attitude is what makes her the earthbender i feel like moana could have an argument to be the earthbender here um but i'm gonna give it to tiana yeah, Tiana was a tough one because even I was reading about her and Prince Naveen and all that. And I, this is another one like Moana and Princess and the Frog are the two of these four that I really want to watch after like reading a little bit about them. But Tiana for me, it was actually tough to slaughter. I felt like with both like Moana, Merida, Rapunzel, they're so obviously they're bending types. Whereas with Tiana, I felt like you could have pegged her as like something else. Not, not necessarily a firebender, but like if you could, I could just see an argument for her being a waterbender or something of the sort. 
Yeah, no, she definitely could yep. be a waterbender. I just think that out of the four, Moana probably is the waterbender since like yeah, she oh, yeah, actually 100%. can. Moana is yeah. like the more obvious waterbender. So yeah, yeah well, that's that's our tea quartet. Yeah, so there you go. That is the last of the Disney princesses. I'm sure there'll be another Disney-themed one. Disney's pretty much everything at this point, so I'm sure we'll get back to Disney at some point, but those were the 12 Disney princesses. Um, yeah, which Disney princess is your favorite, Zach? Do you have one? Good question. I don't know off the top of my head if I can say I have one. What about yourself? I think you told me offline, but you can remind me. Uh, yeah, I think Belle's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, she's just like she seems really cool. Uh, mainly because the musical uh, Beauty and the Beast is like so good. I just really like that character. Like she's extremely intelligent. She's super selfless, and I feel like she sees the best out of people, which I like. I also like Rapunzel a lot. Um, if I had to pick like one of the newer ones. Yeah, I think Mulan, when I was growing up, was probably my favorite because even as a kid, I kind of got tired of the damsel in distress trope, especially when we were younger. Now there's a lot more strong female characters in media. But at the time, it was like every time I watched like a Disney movie, it was just like, oh, the princess is just stuck and they're getting saved by somebody. Like Aladdin is an example of that. Like I wasn't a big fan of Jasmine as a kid because they gave her some moments, of course, but she's just like, I don't know, she's there seducing Jafar. Like, I don't know. I wasn't the biggest fan. Whereas Mulan, it was like, oh, damn, she's like, fighting this like Genghis Khan type and she's going in, she's battling and stuff. And I just like that as a kid. So I think Mulan was my favorite for a long time. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. When you're talking about like the damsel in distress, like at least no one's picking sleeping beauty. Like, Oh, I don't know what you'd be doing. Like she's not even in her own movie. Yeah, uh, exactly. It's a pretty yeah. boring movie, too, honestly, Sleeping Beauty. Because I remember <laughs> I watched Sleeping Beauty. We played it in a VHS in elementary school. And I think I had the VHS as well, but I never rewatched it. And I think I fell asleep. It was one of those, like, end of the year things Yikes. where you just, like, yeah. watch Sleeping Beauty on the TV the last day of school. And I was like, man, why would we pick this horrible movie? <laughs> yeah, I probably would have watched uh, anything else. Like, even the box going around the screen is, like, more exciting than <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, you're like, okay, will it hit the corner? Will it hit the corner? That never Exactly. Yeah. There's, like, something to look forward to as opposed to that. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's our Disney uh, Tea Quartet. And since we're at the end of the Tea Quartet, that's all we have for you this week. As always, you can write into us, avatar at postshowrecaps.com, or tweet at us at postshowrecaps. Zach, where can they find you? They can find me at ZachMohammed32 on Twitter. And yeah, make sure you shoot us some more T-Quartet ideas. We always like yes. getting those from you guys. Yeah, and next week uh, we'll be joined with a guest. Zach, do you want to say who's coming on? Yeah, we have AJ Norris coming on, part of the Robinson Podcast class of 2020. Great podcaster. He's such a like bubbly personality. You guys will see when he's on the show. He's so like happy-go-lucky. He was also on Rob and Akiva have a podcast. He was on their debate episode. It was his mm-hmm. idea, I think, for that episode. So just like me and Jacob, he's a Rob and Akiva need a podcast alum. And yeah, it'll be a yeah. fun time with AJ next week. Yep. Uh, super excited to have AJ on. Uh, I cannot wait to hear what he has to say about the waterbending master, which is one of the better episodes, I think, in season one. Yeah, I agree. And I asked him, I was like, what episode do you want to do? I asked him a while ago, and he specifically chose the waterbending master, which I like because I felt kind of bad for Chappelle and Amon. They were amazing guests, <laughs> but we did not have them on like the best episodes necessarily. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, uh, you can find me at JK Redman. Uh, not doing much tweeting, but I'm always there <laughs> lurking for more Avatar content. Yeah, and that's all from us, I guess. Thanks a lot for listening, and uh, see you guys next week. Peace out. Bye.